0: God bless. Good morning, Genesis. Hope everyone is doing well. We miss you guys uh, so much. And we do want to see you soon. We want to do it in a way that is safe, of course, for everybody. Um, We are still allowing 10 people to gather in here. And what I'd like you to do is if you want to come get a group of your friends together who you would like to do church with and get a hold of us again you can email us or if you have my phone number uh, send me a text message and saying yes i'd like to make reservations for four at genesis and uh, we will seat you um, we 'd love to see you guys, and we 'd love to stay in contact as much as we can. Um, it, it is difficult to try and communicate through email and things uh, but that 's what we have right now, and so I hope you guys will extend yourselves in the ways that you feel comfortable uh, we 're going to try and make everything again safe here in small numbers, but we do want to see you, and that includes what we 're doing. On Wednesday nights. Take two is now going to move from Sundays to Wednesday nights and really it's going to be our midweek. And so if I say something this morning that uh, sparks a question or uh, maybe even inspires you in some way and you feel like you have something that you would like to share or add to it, Wednesday would be the time to do it. And so you can come down Wednesday night at seven o'clock and we will be having a discussion about this morning and would like you to answer whatever questions you might have or try to, as well as get your input into those things. Um, Again, it'll be a way that we can slowly start getting together and maybe see how that develops. We do want to pray for Our sister Colleen again, she has a cold and she hasn't eaten in a couple of days, I heard. So we want to pray that she has an appetite and that she gets fluids in her system. We also want to pray for my aunt's friend, Jay who has moved to Loma Linda. He has COVID. If you remember, I spoke to you last week about it. He's in his seventies and they took him to Loma Linda for better treatment. He is on oxygen. And so pray for him that he does not have to move to a ventilator or anything like that. Um, And that the pneumonia, because that's what he has, is able to clear up. And also we want to pray for Kirk who has, uh, going through some physical ailments as well, that the Lord would touch and heal his body. And and I don't know what other requests are out there, but we do want to, again, hear them. So please email us at prayer@thegenesisstory.com. At but let's pause and let's pray for these that we know and maybe those you know even at home. Father, we feel so helpless sometimes to be able to help the people we love And care for. Lord, whether it is the things they are going through physically, sometimes financially, sometimes even emotionally, we are inadequate to meet those needs, but we know that you are more than able. And so we do pray for Colleen that you would touch and heal her, not only from the cold, but from the cancer, that you would strengthen her body. We pray for Jay that you would heal his body from the COVID. Lord, we pray for Kirk and you would heal the ailments that he is going through. And Father, I know there are a lot more things going on in the lives of so many of us. Things that we are struggling with, things that we are stressed about, uh, anxiety, uh, loss of work. Um, We do pray for Randy that you would provide work for him and the things that he is moving towards and his family and others, Lord, who are without work. God, we cry out to you. We know you hear us. And Father, we thank you for not only hearing us, but caring and ask that you would guide and direct our steps in ways that will be helpful and allowing us to continue in The ways, Lord, that can be helpful in your kingdom and to our families and those we love. And Lord, we do pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The past few weeks, I've been kind of going through a little mini-series. The first one was on faith, trust, and believing, how when we say we believe in God, it's not a mental accent, accent. we're not thinking about God when we say we believe in God so much as we are trusting in God. And that's really what faith is. But as we lean and put our weight, so to speak, on God, we find that we aren't able to do it on our own, that we need the breath of God. It's like we're diving into the water uh, of who God is, but we need to come up for air so that the spirit can replenish our lungs with life so that we can continue swimming in this ocean of God. And, And today I wanna talk about what is it that we trust in, trusting in a God who looks like Jesus. And so I wanna talk to you this morning about what's in a name, a mural in Haiti, little league baseball, helicopter parents, a chore chart and the cross. I want to ask a question. What comes to mind when you think of God? Is there a picture that you have, maybe of a man in a white beard sitting in the clouds with his hands outstretched? Our thoughts and understanding change and grow as we experience life, as we study scriptures, as we read other books, and as we even learn from other people. These things start to develop and shape how it is we think about God. And it's so interesting that the way the scriptures talk about God. I want to start off in Exodus chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14 says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. What an unusual question. And what an unusual answer. Who should I say sent me? What is your name? And God's answer to him is very unique. I am that I am. It's something we translate but the meaning is is so much more than this right this is where we get the word Yahweh but the interesting thing is in the word that is here the vowels are missing because it was considered too holy to write and so they just wrote the consonants and so we fit the vowels together to try and make up the word that we think it actually is and and even today there are our Jews who, when they write the name God, will leave out the O. They'll write G-D because they want to show reverence and respect to the name. And this name, it means, yeah, I am who I am, but it's also I am the becoming one. I will become what I choose to become. It also can mean I am what I am. I will be what I will be. I create what I create. I am the existing one. There are all these meanings in this word that we don't fully understand. And so what we have is the name of God, which is a word that can't be uttered. But then we are giving throughout the scripture over 100 names for God. And so it's so interesting, right? The name that can't be uttered still has a hundred different names. Whether it's Elohim, which is a plural, Adonai, Master or Lord, El Shaddai, the Sufficient One, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace, the God who has no name yet has many. And on this one hand, we can't speak and understand his name, but on the other hand, we can experience him and give him names based on those experiences. And like it or not, most likely the idea that you and I have of God has been shaped by our parents. They are our first primary Caretakers. They are the ones who, in a sense, created us. They are the ones who care for us. And our understanding of that figure starts to be derived from who they were. Now, that might be terrifying for you in in some ways, but it's the truth. It's shaped by them. And then there's an introduction at church or temple, a place of worship whatever religious bringing you are brought up in, these things start to form things more. But we we are given this idea of who God is based on our experiences, based on what we learn, and based up really on where we are living and the faith we grow up hearing. I think it's important to realize that how we think about God plays a crucial role in how we live out our lives. The way we see God determines how we feel about much of what happens to us, right? To say that God is always present and always working is only good news if the God who is present and working is a good God, right? If he's not that, if we have the misconception, then the idea of God always being present can be actually something that's a little scary to us. And we all have various ideas about God and what God is really like. And let's face it, we can never fully understand. And so that's why our faith helps us to build a bridge to connect the things we experience, to connect the things that we learn, to lean on the things that we are growing in. And this is where we come to the understanding as followers of Christ that God looks like Jesus. I remember in Haiti... At an orphanage, there was a mural on the wall, a picture of Jesus, and Jesus was black. And I remember it standing out to me. It's like, oh, look, at that's how they see Jesus. And then the thought came into me, well, it's just like the churches in Europe where Jesus is white. Right, We all want a Jesus that looks like us. We all want a Jesus that we can identify with. We all want a Jesus that helps us to bridge the gap of what we don't fully understand and who God is. Someone we can relate to. Someone who's on our team, on our side. Someone who understands where we're coming from. And then Jesus wants us to get an idea of who God is through his life. And he tells us that in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. And I'm going to read from the message translation. Jesus says, You have your heads in your Bibles constantly, but you think you'll find eternal life there. But you miss the forest from the trees. The scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. There are so many ways to look at things and interpret them. And again, it falls back on our life's experiences, the things we go through. And so our conception of God is tainted by so many things. And Jesus is wanting us to connect who God is by who he is. And if you want to know which way you think about God, really look at how you interact with people and that will help you understand what you think about God. Because there are four ways that I'm going to talk about that we tend to see God in a frame. And maybe we can look at our lives and how we interact with others and find out where we see God or how we see God in our lives. You know, when I was younger, I played little league baseball. And it was a big part of my life for a number of years. Now, I had a stepfather, but he always worked. And so when I would go to the baseball field, I would take my bike. I remember putting my glove on my handlebars, having my cleats around the handlebars as well, and then riding my bike to the the park where the baseball field is. And then we'd have our practice, have our games. And then I'd go with my friends, get something to eat, and ride my back home. This was in Hollywood. And my stepfather was Rarely there. He, he rarely made an appearance. He, he wasn't at my practices. He wasn't at my games. I remember our air team won first place, but I wasn't able to go and collect the trophy because we didn't go there. At, it was somewhere else in the evening and we couldn't make it there. And so my parents drove by and picked up the trophy for me. And then we had dinner at Bob's Big Boy and they gave me the trophy. But that was the kind of involvement that I had with my stepfather and baseball. He really was distant. He wasn't really present. A friend of mine who was on one of my teams, his name was Larry. I don't remember Larry's last name, but Larry was a a good ball player. I remember he was a really nice kid. He was one of my friends in school, and then I would see him on the baseball field, and Larry's dad was there all the time. But Larry's dad had a temper, And he would be very vocal sitting down and he was vocal, especially towards Larry. If Larry would make a mistake, his dad would just be yelling at him. and I remember this so vividly as I was thinking about this. I remember one time, I don't know what Larry did. He made an air struck out or something, and he came back, and his dad came over there. And I don't know how this happened, but it looked like from my memory that his dad picked Larry up by the ears and moved him. And I remember being horrified. And I remember Larry just hurting and holding his ears after that. And I remember his dad on other occasions slapping him. And, and, you know, this is happening years ago where there was no, you know, CPS, where we didn't know what to do. We just thought, man, Larry's dad is, well, we thought a lot of things about his dad. He, he just wasn't a nice man. And, and you see, these dads, I think, represent... Two unchristlike images that we have in the church today about who God is. And sometimes the hardest part of learning who God is is unlearning who God is not. I'm still doing that. I'm still trying to get re- rid of these conceptions of God that are too small. Or that don't look like Jesus. And you see, the distant deity, like my stepfather. This is how my stepdad experience was. And, and how some considered God. He is absent. He's distant. They believe in God, but the pain and disappointment and materialism and suffering have a way of hardening our hearts and stifling our imagination about God. And God seems distant and absent when we need him the most. And so we learn to think of him as out there somewhere, but not intimately involved in the world today. Maybe you you pray for something important for healing or for your son, daughter to get off of drugs to stop them from being homeless or even in prison uh, your marriage is crumbling falling apart you're you're having financial troubles you're having a nervous breakdown and you know Jesus said I am with you always but it's not something that you experience and so in your mind god is far away he's distant he's real but he's not here And the absent God is ancient, he's true, but not very relevant. He loves you, he wants good things for you, but he doesn't really impact you where you live. He He shows up in a warm, fuzzy feeling when you hear that certain worship song, but then he's gone as that last chord plays. or or he moves you in a, a promise verse that you get, but that's where it ends. It comes and then it goes the next day. This is the distant deity, and it's not the God who is always present and at work. Now, my friend Larry and his experience and his dad, this is a demanding judge kind of figure. He's present, he's involved, but he's got a temper. And he has to be appeased. And how do you appease this God? Well, you got to always stay on his good side or at least out of his way. And you might think that Christians don't view God like this, but this God shows up in our actions more than we realize. I can remember... Being a follower of Jesus and working with my brother down at a job site in the valley, and his son, his firstborn son, was born premature, and it was like three months premature. And he got a phone call to the the uh, construction, the house where they were at. Gosh, man, I'm losing my memory of how these things are. Um, and so on the job site, there was a phone. And so the attendant came and told him, hey, you got a phone call. He went and it was someone at the hospital saying your wife's here and she's going through complications. She's bleeding a lot and they're trying to uh, save the baby and trying to keep her alive as well. That's the news we get and we're out in Van Nuys and we have to drive to the hospital in Arcadia to get there. And I remember he says, come on, we got to go. We jump in his car and we start driving and he starts driving the speed limit. I'm going crazy. I'm thinking, we need to get there, step on it. And he's like, nope. And I know exactly what was going on in his mind. If I can, please God, with driving the speed limit, when everything in my heart needs to be there as quickly as possible, maybe, just maybe, he will be pleased and have mercy on my wife and my child. And there is this idea of God, if I, if I live the right way, God will have mercy on me. If I do good enough, then God will show this kindness to me. Or something happens in your life, a car accident, a sickness, and you think, what did I do wrong? That this has happened to me. And this God is teetering between being disappointed and being annoyed. This God who is saying, like, why are you still, still like this? Why can't you catch that ground ball? Why can't you make that play? Why can't you do this? And this God is demanding and very judgmental. And and we don't even realize how invasive this line of thinking is, right? Have you ever heard or said, man, God hit me across the head with a two by four. Is that how God is? Is that what God has to do to wake us up? Is that the way a parent deals with their child? Why would God do that? Even if you were a little dull in hearing, even though there are consequences for our sin and God is grieved by them, a God who looks like Jesus is not offended by our sin, as much as he's offended by the self-righteous, at least according to Jesus's words, the judgmental, the religious type. Jesus reveals a God who isn't demanding and disappointed, but who regularly lays down his life and leverages his honor for those despised by the religious people. He, He doesn't despise the sinner. He desires to be with the sinner. And I know saying hit over the head by a two by four, it's just a figure of speech, but I think it's a problematic way of ascribing this kind of relationship in a violence, the how God gets things done. I think it contributes to this distorted pictures that we carry around in our imagination. Jesus says that God's posture towards us is like that of a shepherd who when a sheep wanders astray, he leaves the 99 to go and search for the one. Jesus says that the relationship of God with us is like a woman who loses a coin and sweeps her whole house till she finds it. And when she finds it, she rejoices. Jesus says that our father's relationship to us is like a father whose son takes his inheritance, leaves, squanders it. And the father is ecstatic when the son comes crawling back to him. It's not that of a disappointed, judgmental God who's demanding from us. Jesus came to save us from our fears, from our guilt, from our shame? Why would he use the very things he came to free us from to motivate us to obedience and wholeness? And why would Paul write, there is no condemnation to those in Christ? See, this judgmental, demanding judge it's another picture we have many times from parents, from society, from how we've experienced life. And then we start filtering scripture through these understandings. Another idea of God is this deterministic micromanager, right? God is like a helicopter parent, right? Where he's in a control freak. He's watching over everything, every element of this child's life. I remember one time watching a mom follow her little toddler around in a church, and she was literally just like over him. She was like doing this, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And she looked frazzled. She looked exhausted, right, because she couldn't hold the kid at bay, and so she's just wandering over him waiting for him to do something some people have this view of God. We, we say things like, oh, God's in control as if God is meticulously mapping out every event in our lives, right? And then there's the will of God. There's the permissive will. And then there's the perfect will of God. And we need to be in God's perfect will because God's got this plan for our lives, this perfect plan, and we have to follow this perfect plan. And again, it's that tightrope you gotta follow to do the will of God. If there's a perfect will of God, I blew it when I was three years old, right? And every day after that, man, I've missed the, per- it, I'm. if you were to look at a GPS of where the perfect will of God is and where I'm at, I'm on a different planet, right? I'm not in the same picture here. If there is this perfect micromanaging way that God does things, whatever that perfect will is, I haven't been there. And when we're faced with the habitual behaviors that are destructive, whether it's lust for money, drugs, sex, we beg God to, to take it from us so that we could experience his favor in his presence, because we are sure that we are far from his perfect will. But the more we learn about who God is from watching Jesus, we say that this is not how Jesus interacts with people. And this is important because Instead, what we see in Jesus, he seems to be ruthlessly committed to empowering people to do what they truly want to do. In other words, he's not trying to micromanage them to make the right choices so they can be in the right place. He's trying to work in their hearts so that they will want to do the right things even when they falter and do it. right. He tells Judas... Whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. He doesn't say, Judas, think about this now. What you're going to do right now is a mistake. You need to stop it. You need to change it. Time out. He says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. He watches countless people go away sad like the rich young ruler. And he is grieved. He, he, he doesn't go and pursue him. He doesn't try and, and convert him from his decision after he makes it. He allows him to make that decision. He makes it clear that he wanted to save Jerusalem and protect her from the harm that was coming, to nurture her as a hen gathers her chicks. But they would not. So he didn't do that for them, he allowed their decision to stand. and remember, he let the prodigal son leave. Jesus invites, he calls, he pronounces, he declares, he challenges, but he never coercively controls. He never overwhelms a person's agency to manage their outcome. There are definitely some texts in Scripture that would seem to indicate otherwise. You can always find things in the Bible to support a way of thought. There's a lot of things in Scripture that we can wrestle with. But remember, Jesus said, you heard it said, but I say to you. If we're to take the example of Jesus, then this is how it really is. And, and I started thinking about my, my life and what I want for my kids and for my grandkids. I don't want them to do the right thing because I'm forcing them to. I want them to grow to a place where they know what the right thing is. You know, Recently, we got a, a chore chart for my grandson. And we're putting up stars when he brushes his teeth, when he makes his bed, when he puts his toys away. We're trying to give him an understanding that, hey, if you do these things, good things happen to you. You get enough stars, you get a toy, right? But I'm not going to go there and... and pick the toy up for him and put his hand and say, here, here we go, here we go. No, 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 don't go over there. Don't go over there. Back over here. I'm not going to be the helicopter grandparent, right, who's just wandering over him making sure he does the right thing. I want him to want to make the right thing because if God has our heart, then he has us. If he just has our actions, our hearts can be far from him. Right? We can worship with our lips and our hearts are far from them. We can even worship with the things that we do, feeling we have to do, and not really care. Psalm 32, verses 8 to 10. says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. But not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. See, so when we ask God to take away that problematic desire, that addiction, that unhealthy way of living. God, just take it away. I want to go to sleep. I want to wake up and it's gone. And when we wake up and it's still there, realize that when we're saying, God, just take it away, we're asking him to put a bridle in our mouths and to treat us like a beast. And he won't do that because you are more, not less. He would rather wrestle it out of you than force you because that's who Jesus is. That's who God is. God does not want mindless people who he can control. He wants mindful disciples that he can empower He wants trust over compliance. He wants faithful love over precise obedience. What we notice about Jesus is that God is not about controlling people and outcomes. He's about loving people and empowering them in a way that honors their freedom. Dallas Willard wrote, God's intent for each of us is that we should become the kind of person whom he can set free in the universe, empowered to do what we want to do. That freedom is terrifying. That freedom is empowering. I forget who it was. I think it was Thomas Aquinas that said, "Love God and do as you please." Right? God wants to set you free, empower you to make the change, not control you so you do the right thing. Another conception of God is the doting grandfather, right? And I take this idea personally, right? Another picture might be that God is this sort of wishful genie. Right, He's always proud, always happy, sort of a pushover. His greatest joy is that we would be happy everywhere that we went. And I have to admit, I get this. I went and picked up my grandson from his preschool the other day, and I took him to McDonald's and got him a Happy Meal right away because I want him to be happy. All right, And the temptation is to do that every day. But I didn't do that the next time I picked him up. Instead, I went to Costco and bought him a toy. Because this idea, I want him to be happy all the time. But God's not like that. It doesn't matter the pain around us, right? God just wants us to make us healthy and wealthy. All we need to get every prayer answered is enough faith. And this we end up collapsing God into our self-centered projects of being material, emotionally satisfied as though his greatest concern is our worldly success and happiness. And that isn't the case. See, what I want for my children, what I want for my grandson, more than I want happiness is I want them to be good people. I want them to care, have compassion, to love others, to treat others kindly, that they get in a relationship, that whoever they would marry, they would love them, that they would find someone who has characteristics that are more than just material, but find a person who is faithful, find a person who is considerate, find a person who is not self-absorbed. So God isn't after killing our hearts or giving us everything our hearts wanted. Instead, God is working to help us own and name our desire as a meeting place with him. And then we can discern that desire with God and hold it up to the kingdom of God. We can say, this is what I want, and this is who Jesus is and how he lived. And we can see if they line up. And if they don't, maybe our conception of God and what he wants isn't what it should be. This wavering between a God who makes us feel awful and either a God who doesn't care or a God who just makes us feel great, it isn't the answer. So then... The question is, who is this God that we worship? Well, again, as followers of Jesus, we believe that God looks like Jesus. Jesus is the one who most clearly reveals what God is like. Hebrews 1 tells us the fullness of him dwells God in a bodily form. Colossians 2, if we've seen him, Jesus says, we've seen the father in John 14. And God is most fully and completely revealed in Jesus. And Jesus most fully and completely reveals God on the cross. God is love, and his love is cruciform. It's shaped and revealed by the cross, it's self emptying, it's sacrificially loving. Right? And this is why, when we read books like The Road by Cormac McCarthy or hear stories of firemen who stay with a child under a burning vehicle and will not leave until she is rescued, they move us the mom who gives up what little food they have so her child can have enough. We hear these stories and the chord of divine strikes to the center of our life because that looks a lot like Jesus. That looks a lot like God. And so we start to get this clearer picture of God in these forms. God's love looks like the cross and is emptied of privilege, presumptive power, and coercion. It's fierce. It's tenacious. It's rugged love that is unlike so much of what is normal in our world. Now, it's possible to use the Bible to construct a picture of God who is distant or a God who is demanding But Jesus is what God is like. It's possible to take scriptures and to pull ones to help a God that is micromanaging, controlling everything. Everything happens for a reason because God is pulling the strings of all the puppets. It's possible to get some scriptures and have a God who just wants you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Right. But it isn't a God who looks like Jesus. We let this actual life and relationships illustrate who God is, his actual life, Jesus' life and relationships illustrate who God is and then interpret and understand other difficult things, conflicting things in scripture through the life of Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension our false impression of God is probably the single biggest obstacle in our spiritual lives. Not knowing who God is like allows us to say and do a lot of foolish things. Not knowing who God is like or or worshiping a God who is unlike Jesus the biblical term is idolatry. To say that God is like Jesus and in him is no unchristlikeness at all isn't to say everything there is to say about God. It, it's not going to give us the full picture of who God is, but it's the place where we start, it is where we can build. So if I am going through something and my mind starts to interpret things and put God in a place that doesn't look like Jesus, then I need to step back and say, this is not God, because God does not look like this. God does not act like this, because this is how God acts. This is how God looks. This is what God does. I've seen it, and I know it, and the Spirit bears witness because it is clearly seen. And who Jesus was, the things Jesus said and did, culminating in the cross, in the sacrifice. If We want to know who we are trusting in. If I am going to lean on this God, then I am going to lean on the one that looks like Jesus. That's the one I will trust. That's the one I will depend on and follow. That's the one who calls me by my name and calls me his son and his daughter. Let's pray. Father, as I look at my life and I see the way I interact with the people around me. Father, I have to confess that many times you are the distant God to me. You, you show up when you need to, but sometimes don't make the effort to be present. Lord, that's how I behave to others. And I know, Lord, that's sometimes how I think of you. And Lord, I, I pray for forgiveness for the times where I, I see you in this unChrist-like way. I pray for us who have grown up and have been so influenced by family, by religion, by circumstances that have tainted our understanding of who you are and what you look like. And I pray, Lord, that we would repent, we would change how we think, how we live, and how we trust. Lord, may you bring healing into the brokenness that we've experienced. May you bring clarity to the struggles that we are having. And may we Understand, Lord, that you are not here to condemn us, but you are here to pull life out of us. You are here to set captives free, and that's us. You are here to bring health to the sick, and that's us. Lord, thank you for being a God who loves, who cares, who can we who we can completely trust in. And we thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. If something spoke to your heart this morning, something I shared, uh, a scripture, or or, or just through this time of talking, and and you are wondering now what to do with how you're feeling, Uh, we want to help you make another step. If you feel like, well, I don't really know God like Jesus, but I want to, what do I do? Well, I think the first thing is to ask God to help you understand who he is to pray and ask Jesus to open your eyes and understanding to who he is and then maybe pick a gospel and start reading the gospel to find out who he is. Uh, We would love to pray with you. Uh, If you want that prayer, you can again email us at prayer at thegenesisstory.com. We want to pray for you. If you are making a decision to follow the God who looks like Jesus, then let us know. Email us and say, I, I'm deciding to follow Jesus again at the prayer at the Genesis dot com. You can do that or even info at the Genesis story. But let us know. And if you have questions, come down Wednesday. If you want to talk about this, I'd love to talk to you about this. If you have questions, so do I. All right. Let's talk. Let's talk. So come down Wednesday at seven o'clock. We're not going to have a a full crowd here I'm sure you could be here And and we want to make room For you with a question So these things we, We want to help in whatever Steps need to be taken After you hear something like this And I hope that we can be of help in some way And right now we pray That the Lord would bless you May his image of Christ Guide you in the knowledge Of who he is May you discern the ways you have seen, God, that do not look like Jesus. And may you cast down the idol of what that is and follow the true and living God in Jesus Christ. God bless you guys. We love you. We miss you. Hope to see you sometime soon. Take care. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings.